Every industry has its survivors, but no matter what the world throws at them, they keep fighting and doing their best every day. The travel industry is no different. Through thick and thin, war, famine, disease, triumph and tragedy, some always emerge at the other side with that unbreakable spirit and dogged determination. Today's episode of Talking Travel is special. We're celebrating two of the industry's fighters whose love for travel and helping their clients see the world knows no bounds. But what keeps the fires burning? And what's next for these legends of the travel industry? Welcome to Talking Travel, your home for all the big stories, major interviews, and a little bit of gossip from the world of travel with your hosts, John Underwood and Matt Lennon. Hello everyone, I'm John Underwood, Managing Editor of Travel Talk, Australia's favourite travel industry news magazine. And I'm Matt Lennon, Digital Editor of Travel Talk. Welcome to Talking Travel. Now John, where were you way back in 1972? Now I'm sure you'd say years from birth, but can you remember that far back? There's nothing wrong with my memory, thank you Muriel. But actually 1972 was a big year, it was a big year for my parents because they bought their very first house and guess what? It cost them the princely sum of $3,000. Ah, how about you, Matt? Well, my parents were still eight years from meeting, so I'm the spring chicken in this conversation, John. Uh, you're just a true whippersnapper, aren't you? Well, on today's Talking Travel, we're celebrating two legendary travel industry careers which together add up to 80 years in the business. Our guests today have seen so much come, go and happen in this business and have played key roles in the success of travel, both in their communities and the wider industry. So we're pleased to welcome Michelle Everson from Jamison Travel in Canberra and Trevor Jones from Hawthorne Travel in Melbourne. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Now, Michelle, you've just marked a milestone for Jamison Travel under your ownership. Tell us about that and how did you celebrate? Uh, so, yes, we just celebrated 30 years. Um, well, I've celebrated 30 years in business. Um, I bought the business in February two, uh, 1993. And to be honest, we were so busy, we weren't going to celebrate because we didn't have time to celebrate. Um, but we uh, hosted a cocktail evening for basically clients that have been with us for nearly 30 years. And some of them have been. There was... Um, and some brought along their kids and grandkids. So it was, it was a really lovely evening. But, of course, in 30 years, we couldn't invite everybody. So it was we had 90 people for a nice evening. That's pretty good. Sounds like it was a fun night. It was a great night, actually. It was um, – I – didn't have any of our, our industry partners there, any of our suppliers, which is unfortunate. I just I, I just couldn't get a, a space and I, I, I left it too late to invite them all, of course. But as it turned out, it worked out really nicely because the clients were all interacting and just talking about their travel stories and, you know, what, what they share in common, um, which is us. <laughs> and um, it, it was just a really lovely casual night. Yes, my invite must have got lost in the post somewhere, Michelle. Anyway, never mind. Um, 1993. That that kind of means you, you must have staff now who weren't even born when you started. I mean, did you think you'd still be going 30 years on? Well, to be honest, I, I was I was only 23 when I bought the business. 
Uh, so you can work out how old I am from that. Um, and at 23, you don't think long-term. You don't think 30 years down the track. So, you know, the 10-year anniversary came and went, the 20-year anniversary came and went, and then 30 years, somebody said, that, that's really impressive. You should be celebrating that. So short answer, no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think 30 years down the track I would still be here doing what I do, but I'm... I'm so happy that we managed to stay the course and, and stay in business. Lovely. Now, Trevor, you've been in the business for more than 50 years and you told me that you started Hawthorne Travel back in 1972. What do you remember about those early days? Okay, 50 years, but uh, in fact, I started at Ansett Airlines in 1972 and I started at Hawthorne Travel in 1984. Right. In those early days, if I can go back to those airline times, uh, it seemed to me that... Uh, Everyone cared about passengers. Um, it's uh, airlines used to talk to each other. Uh, we would actually ask TAA, have you got any spare seats to take a few passengers? We've got an unserviceable aircraft. It was all beautiful. Everybody helped each other. Um, it was fabulous. Airline staff were important. There was no, no outsourcing. You controlled your own, own brand. Um, yeah, it was much more simple. It was... Uh, a great, great time. So would you say, Trevor, that we've lost that? We've lost that intimacy in the travel industry? Yes. Um, sadly, we have. I mean, you check in at the airport and you, you're not talking to an airline staff member anymore. Uh, it's all about money these days. Airlines got privatised and they have to report to shareholders these days. So uh, when they were government-owned, it was a very, very nice situation to be in. So it has changed. Um, some things are better because, of course, until recently, we had very, very cheap fares. We never had cheap fares in those early days. You really had comparatively few travellers. You never had the over-tourism as we can today. So it's everyone's right now to travel, and uh, that creates different issues, I guess. Well, it's certainly something that we, we all talk about, especially in the magazine, about over-tourism and sustainability. I mean, those have become catchwords, modern catchwords. Were they talking about that back in the day when you guys started your businesses? Well, uh, certainly not with me, no. I mean, um, you went to places that you didn't see tourists. I mean, it was incredible. Um, I mean, even in Rome or in Paris or wherever you were, um, it was... The, it was the people. It was the city. It wasn't. It didn't survive by tourism. So uh, it's it was very difficult. It's very difficult these days to get a real travel experience. Um, it was much easier back then. Michelle, your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, look. I of course the industry has grown. Well, apart from the last three years, it has grown hugely. Uh, and I I totally agree with what you're saying, Trevor. I think I remember the days of the the ABC and the and and to look up an airfare to London. It was just there was either the seasons were the important thing. You had high season, low season, shoulder season, and the price there was one price that determined whatever season you went in. You paid two four nine nine or two seven nine nine. And if you look at the airfares now, people's expectation is to get an airfare below two thousand dollars. And, then, and they didn't exist 30, 30, 40 years ago, those airfares. So, yeah, there's, there is a massive demand for cheap uh, airfares. And, of course, now we're not making any money on those airfares or, or the airlines aren't 
certainly aren't paying us for that service. We're having to build service fees in. So, yeah, it's a, it's a much more demanding job now than it was 30 years ago. Well, one thing that would not have changed is the clients that you deal with every day. And over 30 years and 50 years, there would be some memorable ones. Are there any that stand out to you as being the most memorable, Who, whether they've requested something absurd in terms of their, where they want to go or somebody who had just had that personality that really resonated with you and you remember to this day? Well, I, I had one... Uh, Memorable, not for the right reasons. I had a uh, a lady come in and want to buy an airfare from Canberra to Melbourne and she was with an elderly lady and she kept referring to the lady and asking her if she agreed with what she was booking. And um, so we finally booked the flight and the, the young girl, I mean, she would have been in her mid-20s, she reached into a handbag and she, she pulled out a can of Campbell's soup and she said, will you accept this soup as payment for the price? <laughs> and I looked at her and I, I just said, I, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept soup for payment. And the grandmother said, I'm sorry, I told her not to come in here, but she does this all the time. <laughs> and then she turned around and told me that she didn't need my services, she didn't need a flight because she would transcend herself to Melbourne in her mind and she, and the grandmother then pulled her out of the seat and dragged her out of my office. But um, that has stood out as I've never been offered soup for payment. Special. Yeah, very special. How about you, Trevor? Any memorable clients that uh, jog your memory? Yes, in fact, there's many, and in fact, so much so that I've actually got my own website uh, to read the stories about them, um, which you can read if you want. Um, two in particular, one was Tony Wheeler, the founder of Lonely Planet. Um, we still do his travel today. Uh, amazing man, amazing amount of travel. Um, he is not a first-class person, um, even though he can afford it. He's just the most incredible client. Second one was a guy, in fact, amazing guy. He wanted to go on this French-speaking tour of Sicily. He was a bit of a history buff. And um, his French-speaking tour was the only place he could get into this uh, mansion in Sicily, which was known to the public. So he came into us because we specialise in France. And he was in a time warp. He had no credit card, no mobile phone, no nothing. He had um, long hair. He wasn't well-dressed, um, which was his choice. Anyway, he goes over there and he ends up missing the beginning of the tour. Uh, he couldn't find it. He then catches up with them. He then, uh, after the tour, he misses the train to Rome, so he sleeps at the station. Then he goes up to uh, Venice and uh, he catches the um, Vaporetto. And in doing so, he actually left his bag on the wharfy area there, put his suitcase on. The Vaporetto takes off and his bag is there. And inside that bag, he had all his spending money, 5,000 euros. Passports. So we, we had booked him into a monastery. He was on a budget, booked him into a monastery. So he couldn't pay the brothers, but they said, don't worry. So he chuffs off down to the police station. Lo and behold, they have his passport, but no money. Um, anyway, the next day he goes down to another place and 
you can't believe it, but his bag is there and inside it is 5,000 euros. Um, amazing. He then goes off to Vienna and he gets robbed. His camera's robbed off him. So he ends up then from Vienna going to Paris and uh, had no money left and, of course, got no credit cards. So he is sleeping near Gardenor and he's approached by some gypsy-looking people and they steal his passport off him again. (laughs) He starts screaming. He's screaming his head off um, and they couldn't cope with him, so they gave him his passport back. (laughs) So (laughs) then... He goes out and a can of soup to uh, <laughs> goes out to Charles de Gaulle, but he was so overwhelmed by Charles de Gaulle Airport that he saw the screens up there and they were changing from one airline to another. And um, he uh, he misses his Emirates flight. So we then get a call the next day. We had no idea any of this was going on. Called next day, um, he's got no money. He's at the Australian Embassy. They just say, there's the phone, you fix it yourself. So we rebook him and he misses the flight again. Uh, wow. this stage, sleeping by the Air France cargo terminal, uh, Panger, and that's where he slept. We have then transferred money to him to uh, have a hotel because we couldn't get a flight for three days and hopefully he can have a shower. So then we get a transfer that takes him to the checking counter so he wouldn't miss it. Did he miss the transfer? Um, no, that happened. It gets on the flight, but gets to Dubai. He didn't have any Australian money, but we'd given him euros. Uh, so anyway, so he tries to change his euros to Australian dollars so he get a taxi back home when he got to Melbourne. The line was so long. He missed oh, dearie his flight. me. <laughs> oh, me. So you get the next flight the next day, but that flight is to Melbourne via Singapore. Oh, my God, we're saying he's going to get off in Singapore, never to be seen again. (laughs) Fortunately, he had some common sense and he stalked a person who was going to (laughs) Melbourne and just kept, wait for this, though. He gets to Melbourne. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's, there's more to it. And it's some remembrance day for Battle of Fromel. He was a history buff, so he's... He's got off the flight at Tullamarine. He's walked to the bank. He's cashed in some money so he could pay us what he owes us. Hasn't gone home. He's then taken his suitcase, got no wheels, by the way, and uh, he's gone to the Shrine of Remembrance and he's standing there by the Governor-General about the 75th or 95th or whatever it was anniversary of the Battle of Fromel. And he still hasn't got home. He's got plastic bags in his suitcase. Finishes up at the shrine. He then gets on a train to Hawthorne and he comes into my office at about 5.30 in the evening. I could not believe this guy. Um, I didn't know whether to uh, hug him or hit him. I really didn't. So now I had to then write the story the next day because I thought I'll never remember it. And in fact, I had published that story and uh, he, he was unbelievable. Sounds like his next trip should be to a padded room. Yeah, I did say there's a red and white travel agent down the road for your next trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that, that's all we've got time for on Talking Travel today. Thank you very much. No, no, that was a great story. Well, what's the, what's the website called? So we can just uh, let people know where to find those stories. 
It's called your boarding pass, Mr. Jones. Dot com. Very good. That'll Very good. Flooded with uh, yep. flooded with people now. Um, question for both of you guys. Um, obviously, as we're talking about your longevity in the industry, and you will have seen some pretty momentous uh, events over the years. Uh, what are the ones that stand out most for you, Michelle? Ladies first. What what, what events do you think has really shaped the travel industry over the years? Um. I think 9-11 is the event that changed the industry and changed how everyone travels permanently and still does. Uh, and obviously, like we've been through, you know, the SARS and the volcanic ash and all those things, but 9-11 actually, you know, to this day we, we have the liquid and gel rules and the, the, the increased security and there was such an innocence about travel before then and unfortunately it, it just showed us how what evil can be like, and it placed that fear in everyone. That that's still there, I think. Unfortunately, it certainly yeah. changed a lot. That's for sure. Mm. Um, what would you uh, put your longevity in this industry down to, if you had to pick one thing? And what is it? Uh, can you pinpoint any one thing that you love most about this industry, and why you and your business are still going strong today? It's probably not one thing. I think if if it is one thing I have learned is with all of the things that have gone on. Um, Nothing lasts forever. The, you know, the, the, the good times, enjoy the good times and the bad ones. It is a temporary state, uh, including COVID. The sad thing with COVID is we didn't know when it was going to end, but, you know, history has taught us it will end and, and we will come out the other end. And the same with ANSET and SARS and all those other things. Like we, we, we rode the wave, if you like, and... Um, what, what do I love about the industry? Well, depending on what day you ask me, I mean, some days <laughs> there's nothing I love about the industry, to be honest. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, you know, it, it is a unique industry where the, the relationships that we've built over the years with different companies and, and, and even the airlines who, who continue to tell us we're, we're their best friends and then keep clawing things away from us. But it is a unique industry in as much as, you know, you, you develop relationships with suppliers and clients that you don't see in other industries. So that's what I love about it. Is it's, it, and, it is, and it changes. You know, let's face it, it's not a cookie-cutter job. It, it, it's different every day. Very true. How about you, Trevor? Trevor, same same for you. Yes, what uh, what events have shaped your your history and um, your secret of success? Um, the best low cost carrier that there's ever been is the bicycle. Actually, <laughs> um, very good. Travel enormously, um, but um, the seven four seven when that initially came out, that is and still is a fantastic aircraft. So we we travelled in this luxury uh, great aircraft. However, Boeing then produced many, many, many more and prices starting to tumble. And it was the pricing tumbling that created just a tsunami of people who wanted to travel. And that continues today. That shaped the industry enormously. Um, The second thing that shaped it is the internet. So you can go straight to anyone these days. It's quite amazing. And so customers book their own hotels, they book their own flights and muck them up, but they can do anything. But so can we. But we use it even better than they do. And the the toying, though, is between who's doing what bit. And we've had to stand up to the customers and say, we've got to do it all just to coordinate this. But the internet allows us 
to do things now which we couldn't have done 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, absolutely fantastic. My longevity in the industry, why? I guess I've always had a passion for it. Um, I was born in the UK. I came here when I was 11 and I felt like I was on holiday. And every day in Australia feels like I'm still on holiday. And then when I, I go back to the UK and now I know why I left, but um, it's phenomenal. The, the, the world is a phenomenal place. And for us, it was always about selling the right product to the right people. It was not about preferred suppliers. I'm, I'm sorry for people in higher above who think so, but it's you give the customer what they want. A happy customer will come back, tell others. That's really been the key to success. Yeah. And with that money that we've earned over the years, we bought the shop. And then when you purchase your own shop, you've got control of the rent. And that's really been the key to survive COVID for us. Well said. I want to take up uh, something on what you just said there, Trevor. We've been talking about it generally. So before we wrap up, this is the question I want to ask you guys. Um, Coming out of COVID, everyone is telling us that the travel agent is probably more important than ever before. And you touched on it just then saying, you know, people muck it up on the internet. So I want to know, do you agree with that? Do you think that travel agents are now more important than ever? And are you seeing that in your dealings with your customers? For us, um, we've gone from 10 consultants down to three. We're up to four. We could do with another two. So we are having to limit the amount of bookings that we're taking on. And it's really not comfortable. We're not comfortable about it. We'd like to be able to service more people. But I, I can't lose my staff. I mean, the staff are critical at the moment. So we at, right at the moment, we've made a decision, no more bookings for this month. Wow. Well, this is crazy. That, it's, it's actually against our um, Yeah. So, uh, uh, but coming out of COVID, the future is very bright for travel agents. But you know what? I think you've got to focus on certain things. For example, we focus on France, Scandinavia, barging in Europe, plus we create itineraries. And when I say create itineraries, we do things you can't Google. I'll give you a quick example. A guy comes in, he's a builder, he wants to see the quirky architecture of Barcelona. I go off to my guy in Madrid and Nigel says to me, Trevor, I don't have a tour guide, I have an architect to take him around. That's the future of travel. That's great. Michelle, you were saying something? Well, I actually, uh, what you're saying, Trevor, is so true. Uh, I mean, having to turn people away because we're too busy to to actually provide the normal service levels that we expect from ourselves, it, it just it goes against everything you, you've been taught in sales. But at the end of the day, we don't want to burn our staff out and we also want to maintain our our levels of service that have kept us in this industry for so long. So it is hard at the moment and and finding and recruiting new staff is is really difficult, but I think that'll improve, you know, when when all the 20-year-olds finish their gap years, they'll come back and want jobs. So I think I think we're going to see more staffing come online soon. But, yeah, it's a difficult situation at the moment. We want the business. We're so excited to be back operating again. 
but we, I, I think it's really important to stay in your lane at the moment. You know, if, if, you're, if your focus is corporate, or is corporate, then great, stick with corporate. If your leisure market is, is, your num- is what you've always known and, and loved selling, then stay in that. We, we don't want to just be order takers, which is what we're getting a lot of people ringing up saying, oh, you know, book is an airfare to Bali, we'll do the rest. And, and we're, we're just saying no to that. Interesting times. Well, we um, sadly, we could talk to you guys all day, but we have to wrap it up there, unfortunately. So the last question that I'll put to both of you is a bit of a tradition now on Talking Travel. We ask everybody uh, where they're heading in the next 12 months. Where are they looking forward to going in the world uh, over the next year? So, uh, Michelle, you first. I am currently planning a trip to Turkey. And I've never Very good. been to Turkey and I am super excited to, to be planning that for myself and my husband and a few others. How about you, Trevor? Well, on Saturday I am going to Europe um, via Tokyo because uh, I have a daughter who lives over in the Netherlands and has done for eight years and um, have a granddaughter there and um, that's fabulous, but I also go to France because I love it. But next year... Looking at um, Colombia, maybe Panama, um, but um, an area that I haven't been to and I believe it's very beautiful. It's opened up. It's got a lot of culture, a lot of restaurants, a lot of heritage. Some very varied responses there. We haven't had those two before. Well, uh, it's been wonderful talking to both of you. So uh, we know that neither of you are even close to being done in this industry. So we'll wish you all the very best for everything still to come. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Talking Travel. Until next time, travel well, travel safe, but most importantly, travel now.